Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. How many of you did not know that last night was daylight savings time, but your phone knew and got you up at the regular time? Anybody? Any, yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, good job. Just to fill you in, you got an hour less sleep last night. And uh, so now you have an excuse for being grumpy. Yeah, all day long you have an excuse. Let's pray over what we give today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your generosity to us. <sighs> thank you for your faithfulness as we give. Uh, we do so in obedience and also with expectation of seeing your provision as we do money the way that you have invited us to. Um, so bless those who give and continue to give the church council and myself wisdom as we steward the resources of the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, it is great to be here uh, with you. A bunch of us guys were at the men's retreat last week, and that was a great time away. Yeah. Fist raise for Jesus. Yeah, David, he's, he's into it. Yeah. Um, but it is so good to be home. We'll be in Exodus chapter 6 today as we continue our series on God's presence leading us. And today we're going to talk about promises and how the promises of God lead us, but how they're difficult to receive. We'll make some observations uh, as we go. Well, a few years ago, our family went on a trip down to Texas. Anybody, anybody from Texas? Yep. Anybody been to Texas? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our associate pastor, Chris, is doing Texas impersonations here, so I'll let you test him on his Texas impersonation later. Anybody wish you lived in Texas? Yeah, yeah, it just seems like a neat place, yeah. Well, they have a Six Flags amusement park down in Texas, and so we're pretty excited about this. Um, Danya, my wife, who's our children's director here, she loves roller coasters, and she was really excited to show our kids roller coasters, and, um, and so we went... And we went into the park, and it was 106 degrees. And we went into the park, and we got on the first ride, and it's kind of like a medium roller coaster. It does a few spinny things, but it's not one of the huge things. And I get on, and I'm... And about halfway through, it's like... Have you had one of those moments before? Yeah. And uh, I was feeling pretty sick, and the riot ended, and I was, you ever had those moments like, I wish I would just throw up right now? But just, mm, yeah, just, mm. And so for the rest of the day, the rest of the day, it was just, that was all there was. I was just trying, and so I went on these walks, trying to walk it off. <laughs> Nothing was helping. I remember we had lunch, and my wife is very thrifty, and so she bought lunch that we couldn't bring into the park, and so we had to go outside of the park to eat, eat our food, and there was no sitting place outside the park, but there was this massive asphalt parking lot, and I found a piece of shade in the asphalt parking I just laid down on the asphalt. I was just like, oh, this is so comfortable right now. You like this stance? Yeah. It's like a bowling follow-through right there. 
slow clap. Somebody is giving me a slow. <laughs> Often that is what life is like. All there is is the difficulty or the trial of today. That's what it feels like. We're kind of stuck in today. That's all there is. I was getting a little philosophical and musing a few years ago about this, and I wrote the following. So just bear with me as I read it, as I'm musing on being stuck in today. I wrote, today falls away as if it has never been, but today leaves a mark, as though it were. Tomorrow will be today, linked by thoughts and memories created by the choices of today. Today leaves, today will come again. Today will be today when it is today. This is deep, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Today is what I can do. Tomorrow is what I can hope for, hoping that tomorrow will become today. Tomorrow. Will it ever be tomorrow? Does tomorrow even exist? Our minds say yes. Odds are that tomorrow has not ever not come as long as we have been recording today's, but when does tomorrow become today? I'm living today in the old tomorrow. Poor tomorrow, never being, always being forsaken for the always present on the mind, living in reality today. Yesterday. Yesterday is always tainted by the reality of today and the dread or the hope of tomorrow. Yesterday was a today, that faded away into the past, the past today. When yesterday was today, the choices I made left me where I am today. So yesterday was a day, a day that is long away, shoved aside for today, though bringing me all that I am today. Yesterday, I respect you. Today, I serve you. Tomorrow, well, I'm not even convinced you're real. I guess when tomorrow is today, I will. And that's what I wrote. So, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a jazzy thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Deep, useless words, use, words usage, Isaac. Okay. So as we follow Jesus and discover his word, there are promises that are all about tomorrow about what is ahead. And these promises are very clear. They're not hard to understand. But all we live in is the present. And the present, because of that, it's very difficult to understand the promises because the promises are all about the future. The present always includes some scary questions. This is what's true for all of us. What might, what if, Promises are easy to understand, but they're difficult to inherit because of these dominating questions. Scripture gives us some, some tools for this, how to bolster our faith in the present. And the first is thanksgiving, to be aware of and seeing God's faithfulness in the past. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just ask us to look past The God of the Bible encourages us to look towards the future. He is a futuristic God. 
and clearly calls us into a future where he will be faithful. And that is these promises. The past, God says, I have done. In the present, we are constantly challenged to faith. And then God gives us these promises into which he says, I will do this, and uh, we are very challenged for it. Okay, so the promises of God, these I will statements for you grammar people out here. God's I will statements. This is a future tense auxiliary verb. You just got smarter by being here today. Some of you are like, no, I didn't. I got dumber. That's what I got, yeah. This is an action to be done in the future, and we're familiar with this phrase or this word, this two words, I will. Um, I will send the check. Yeah, you heard that before? I will check up on that. I will get back to you. You parents, you've heard, I will load the dishwasher. I will statements is to be fulfilled in the future. At the inauguration of our president, the oath is, I will. This is something that will be completed in the future. At the royal wedding in 2011 of Prince William and Kate, Their vows, they say, in the Anglican tradition, they say, I will instead of I do. Because I will, will, it's an ongoing, will be completed promise and pledge. It's an I will. This will happen. In the future, it will be completed over and over again. By the way, that's the same things that Princess Diana and Charles said. Burn. (laughs) Burn. You see, this is the reality with I will statements in our world. Often our experience in this world is you didn't. You said that you would, but you didn't. You didn't send the check. You didn't check in on me. You didn't load the dishwasher. You didn't fulfill your duties as president. You didn't remain married. Our world is so full of broken promises. So much so that we, many of us, we tend to be very cynical. We assume that people won't follow through. We're almost, like you ever said, hey, we should get together sometime. And you know the other person might have a good heart, but they're probably not going to follow through, and neither are you. We assume that people won't follow through. Another illustration, we are, we are blessed with one of the best forms of government in history. Hands down. There's, there's no denying it. And yet, in January of this year, Gallup poll shows that only 35% of Americans trust the federal government to handle domestic problems. We have a trust deficit, don't we? Two out of three people do not trust. That trust has been in the past as high as 80%. We're living in a very different time around trust and promises. We presume promises won't be fulfilled. We live in chronic disappointment. Another illustration, another Gallup poll showed that only 37% of people trust clergy 
especially like pastors, ministers, priests, as having high moral and ethical standards. Only 37%. Now, your experience might be a bit different because you're here willing to listen to some schmuck up on stage. (laughs) But likely you have a healthy dose of cynicism. Hmm. Of even presumably good-hearted authority figures. By the way, that same study showed that nurses, high school teachers, accountants, doctors, police officers, pharmacists, and congressmen are trusted more than pastors. Okay, I lied about the congressman part. (laughs) You're like, yeah, you were lying, and now I can't trust you. Yeah. (laughs) No, but, but truly, doctors, police officers, pharmacists, nurses, high school teachers, and accountants are trusted more than pastors are. John Tyson, in his book, Becoming a Creative Minority, he writes about this, about this dynamic that we live in. He says, one of the biggest generational shifts that we feel in our everyday life is the shift in the sources of authority. Where previous generations have trusted in institutions and positions of power, Due to abuses and sometimes appropriate critiques, the millennial generation primarily trusts personal narrative as authoritative. In fact, holding a belief in an authority who dictates not only one's personal choices, but also absolute truth is actually considered dangerous. In today's climate, it is considered a sin in the modern world. This cynicism that we live in cannot We cannot help but have this affect our relationship with God. We do not come to trusting easily. We come with doubt, with fear, with low expectations, but if we're honest, very felt hopes. We hope that life would not turn out like this. Inborn in each of us is a sense that much of the brokenness around us shouldn't be. All of us have known, have participated, have perpetuated relational brokenness. We've been the ones who have left, who gave up, hurt someone else, who didn't follow through with our promises and pledges, and that has been done to us. You see, in part, this is because we, distrusting any authority, particularly the authority of God, have come to trust ourselves. And when we do, we trust our own impulses, thoughts, ideas. We end up hurting ourselves and others around us. This is the challenge for us who are following Jesus in this climate. The life of the Jesus follower is the life of continuing to give up our own authority and submit to the authority of God and lean into trusting his promises, his I will, his follow me. Promises are easy to understand, but they're difficult to inherit because all of the promises are received in the present where there's a whole bunch of unknowns. 
Last weekend, as we went to the men's retreat, you know, we were the organizing church, 20-plus churches, 530 guys, and it was quite a task. And one of the things that we had to do is recruit 60 volunteers to volunteer to serve the men at the men's retreat. And uh, as we recruited them, we were under the understanding that they would be able to participate with most of the retreat. And so we said, you'll be able to participate with most. You'll just have a little bit of work to do. It turned up being kind of the opposite. They got to participate with very little of the retreat because there was a lot of work to do. So when I got home as the leader of the retreat, I sent an apology email to all of the 60 leaders or volunteers from around the state who had gone saying, I'm, I'm sorry, that was a false expectation we created. One man from Central Oregon wrote the perfect response. This man understands that he's living into something that he's not in control of. He's not his own authority. Listen to what he said. He said, thank you, but I do not need an apology as my life does not belong to me anymore as I gave it to serve the only living God. That's what God is calling us into. And when we become people who receive these promises, where Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. And we're willing to be like this guy. He lost his life in that moment, but he found it actually because he's trusting the authority of God. That's what we're living into. It's very difficult for us because it is, we don't understand how these promises come to bear. Could it be that the life of the Jesus follower is a life that expects God to be faithful beyond what challenges come? Could it be that God will continually call us into deeper trust and affection to him? We're in Exodus, and if you read through the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Pentateuch, the book of five, you will see that God is constantly referring to the past. Remember what I have done. Be strong and courageous in the present And believe and trust me, for I will rescue you. The life of the Jesus follower is one of living into the promises of God by looking back at the past, being strong in the present, and believing God for the future. Our scripture that we have here on our wall lines up very nicely with this. This is the theme scripture, so to speak, of the Four Square Church. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in today is where we experience that. And it's very challenging. Because promises are easy to understand, but difficult to inherit. Hmm. We'll see this in Exodus chapter 6 this morning. So here's the story so far in Exodus 6. The Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. Pharaoh has enslaved them and created a system of oppression to try to tame the Israelites so that they wouldn't create an alliance with another kingdom and overthrow Egypt. But God uh, has created a covenant with these people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he raises up a deliverer, Moses. God calls the deliverer in Exodus 3, the burning bush, and this amazing, profound, supernatural experience that Moses has with God. He calls him, and Moses then argues with God about his call on his life. (laughs) He's like, like, I don't think so. And there's all these exchanges between Moses and God. But then he finally goes. And in Exodus 5, we see Moses and Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. 
They confront Pharaoh. They say, let us go into the wilderness to worship God. And Pharaoh's like, mm-mm, no way. Who is this God? Haven't heard of him. Sorry, you're not going. So, so Pharaoh shuts down the first attempt. And Moses basically says to God, I told you so. <laughs> I told you. This ain't going to work. Hmm. So in the following passage, in Exodus 6, God is going to reaffirm the call that's on Moses' life. And the context here, some things have changed, but the call hasn't. Here's what has changed. They tried and failed so far. Moses and Aaron, they tried and failed. And the second thing is, because of that failure, the oppression actually got worse. And so the people, the Israelites, are really frustrated. They're upset. They're like, look what you've done. So it's not only that they're not delivered, it's now worse. Hmm. And now what we'll see is that Moses and Aaron, even in the midst of the promises not yet being fulfilled, don't get a job description change, nor does it mean the identity of God changes. We'll find ourselves in here. Rather, they're called to obedience and faith. Um, We tend to divorce obedience and faith from each other. Like there's faith, which is kind of like this cognitive belief, and then there's obedience, which is actually doing something about it. From the biblical perspective, though, you cannot divorce those. Obedience and faith are joined together, and Moses and Aaron are going to be called to that, to have faith, which is all about obedience in the presence. So we're here. We are here. This is us. We are right in these passages. So I'll read just the last two verses from Exodus 5. Um, this is after Moses and Aaron, or I mean, Moses, yeah, Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh has shut the door, said, no way. So then at the, Exodus, at the end of Exodus 5, Moses went back to the Lord and he protested. He said, why? He's talking to God. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? You know, Moses, like finger in the chest of God. Mm. Why did you send me? We have to appreciate Moses' assertiveness with God. Yeah. Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people. And listen, you have done nothing to rescue them. And Exodus 6 is God's reply. So Holy Spirit, as we go to Exodus 6, as we muse on these promises that we take hold of by faith in the present, help us to see ourselves, challenge us, to our orientation. I pray that you would open our spiritual ears and eyes. Amen. So Exodus 6, verses 1 through 13, we'll take a verse or two at a time. So the Lord responds to Moses. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Notice the I will, the promise in the future. What I will do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. Turn to your neighbor and say, he will. Mm. Somebody like, I have a neighbor here. Turn to your neighbor and say, he will. (laughs) These are a quiet crowd. All right. Yeah. We're getting better, a little bit at a time, yeah. We'll come back to that, I'm sure. <laughs> so we, 
we learn about the character of God through this revelation of Scripture in this passage. We learn that God declares his attention ahead of time. It's always easier when somebody says, look what I did. That's a little simpler. We like see the results. It, it is when my kids say, I will do my homework. Okay, great, show me. <laughs> Promises are, are easy to understand. I understand what you're saying, but they are difficult to inherit because on the other side of the promise is a whole other process that we don't have control over. But God is always doing that. He's declaring his intention in advance to pull us into this place of faith. And that's probably all of your experience too, that he's always calling you into faith. Moses, you will see. Pharaoh will let the people go. For us, we have to understand that God is faithful. As I said, Jesus has come, and he said that we might have true life and true life in the full. And it's announced before we experience it. We're called into it. Have you noticed that spring is announced by the birds before it is actually spring out? Have you heard the birds lately? Oh, it's beautiful. And announce, this is not all there is. And somebody say, amen, winter is not all there is. It's announced before it's actually real. God's like, hey, remind them before that seasonal affective disorder really takes them out. And the birds respond and say, yes. In the same way, God is always announcing what is coming before we experience it. Verse 2, God said to Moses, goes on. I am Yahweh, the Lord. I am that I am. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms of the covenant, I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am very well of my covenant with them. God now outlines his, the authority on which he makes the promises. He reminds Moses of his identity. And he's Yahweh, the Lord, the King, the one true God. This is the authority upon which God makes these declarations, these promises that pull us into the future of his faithfulness. John Piper pastor and author in Minnesota, Minnesota. <laughs> he says, sorry, my sister lives in Minnesota, so I have this affection for Minnesota. Their winter has been worse than ours. He says this, he says, all that we are amazed by in the world and in the galaxies is compared to God as nothing. Anybody watched a YouTube video on the immensity of the universe in the last year or so? Yeah. It's amazing, the immensity of the universe. It's, it's astounding. But all of the universe pales in comparison to God. All of it is held within God, as a matter of fact. He holds all creation together, Scripture says. By his active, persistent will, God holds it all together. It's been said our problems in the present are really a point-of-view problem. 
We are like ants trying to move a graham cracker. Have you seen ants moving a graham cracker? Yep. <laughs> Some of you are like, you have an ant problem, Isaac. <laughs> it is hard for ants to move a graham cracker, like a whole graham cracker. But is it hard for you to move a graham cracker? No, I have found that it is very easy for me to move a graham cracker. I lift it out 12 at a time. I dip it in the milk and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody's excited in here. And if that's a cinnamon graham cracker, mm, I could do 24 at a time. Mm, just, it is not hard for me to move a graham cracker. In the same way, relative to God, is it hard for him to do anything? Has my arm become short, he says? My promises that I call you into are based upon my identity. I am the one true God who can do anything. And God continues to remind Moses about what he's done in the past. I revealed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I made a covenant that I will fulfill because I am God. And then God gets personal and present, and maybe for some of you, he gets a little personal and present too. He says, I have heard the groans of my people. I know that they are enslaved. And this is not what I have promised to them. God sees you. He sees you and your brokenness and your enslavement and your oppression. And he has promises to you, to free you. He goes on to describe what he will do in verse 6. He says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, that's my identity, and so, listen, I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession, for I am the Lord. This is what will happen. Here are the promises. I will rescue you. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will claim you as my own. I will be your God. I will bring you out of the place of your slavery and bring you into the place of your freedom. I will give to you. I will provide for you. This is all based upon his identity as being the one true God, the only one who can fulfill all of his promises. He is so unlike us. And so why, while it may be wise for us to be cynical in this world, it is very unwise for us to be cynical to the one true God and the promises that he makes. But our experience, we see ourselves in the next verses. We see how easily we humans fatigue when the odds are stacked against us and when things do not go in the way that we think they should. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. The, the experience of the present was far too great. 
they had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. The present in which God was asking for them to live like their ancestor Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to live as a person of faith. They had become too discouraged, and so they did not listen anymore. This might be you too. You're too discouraged. It feels too overwhelming. God sees you, and his promises are yes. He has not forgotten, and he sees. God persists. It's very persistent. I would like to say pleasantly persistent, but I don't know that the persistence of the Lord is always pleasant. He persists with Moses. And he says, then the Lord said to Moses, okay, so they don't believe you. Back to the mission. Go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. This is us. We're called to be obedient even when it all seems lost. To be obedient. But Moses is like us. We are like Moses. He resists. But Lord, Moses objective, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. See, Moses had a point of view problem. He thought it was going to be his power or his words. But as we said a couple of weeks ago, the story of Exodus ends up being God's power and his words. Moses being faithful to what he's called to, but it ultimately is about God's power, and that's the power that we need to trust to be able to receive the promises of the future where God says, I will. He persists. He will do what he says he will do, unlike us. To receive his promises requires faith. They are easy to understand, but difficult to inherit. The final verse, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. In the midst of the discouragement, in the midst of the despair and it not going well the first time, he says, stay on task. Stay the course. Be strong. Be courageous. I will not leave you. I will be with you. Some thoughts of application before we receive communion together. First of all, the present will always be difficult because the future for us is always unclear. But the more we become familiar with the heart of God and the heart of what he, how he reveals us, the more we see and we can be strengthened to be strong in the present, to receive the promises of God. In a couple of chapters, we will see that Aaron and Moses were 80 and 83 years old when they confronted Pharaoh at the point of them about, him about to release them. That's a long life. Moses, when he was a young man, had a desire and a dream that his people would be freed. It's a long trajectory. We've called it before. That's the biblical timeline that we need to live into. 
to receive the promises of God does not always happen on our time frame. And the present will always be difficult because the future is unclear. I feel like God wants to say to you again today, take heart. Receive hope from his character, not the circumstances around you, not your grand scheme or idea. Take heart and allow hope to be built on his promises. Secondly, Jesus says to seek the kingdom and all will be added to you. And the question is, are you focusing on God first? Jesus says, if you are a person of the kingdom, you will be seeking after the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, being about the things of God, and for that to be first and foremost. And also that we will reap what we sow. And if we sow into the kingdom of this world and our hopes and our grand ideas, we will reap that. And we are not strong enough to be able to erect a kingdom that even comes close to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, seek my kingdom and you will be provided for. So the question is, are you seeking God first? And the third thing I was reminded of this week, even as I was practicing this and some of my discouragement that I face as a human, (laughs) discouragement that I face as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, Hope is built through worship. I I turned on some worship music this last week and I said, okay, Lord, remind me of your character. Remind me of who you are. Remind me of your work. And that's where hope was built. So this week, I would invite you to worship. Mm. Over a thousand years later, after the Exodus story, the promises of God would culminate in his son, Jesus Christ. Paul, one of the first followers of Jesus, he wrote to the church of Ephesus, chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Listen, he talks about promises here, and he talks about God's guarantee. He says, now you Gentiles, that's all of us who aren't Jewish, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased for us as his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. This morning, we're going to receive of communion. And as we receive of communion, we're going to meditate and focus on the guarantee that all of God's promises are yes and amen. This is found in no other but Jesus Christ. So this morning, here's what I'd like for us to do. We have communion stations here and here where you can find the bread and the cup representing the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus poured out. There's also a table in the back. As James and the team lead us in singing, would you go and get both of those elements and then hang on to them? Hang on to them because we're going to receive them together. We're going to allow this moment to build our faith for the future as we look back at what God has done. So, Lord, we 
Lord, we, in this moment, we're open. Thank you for your word, which guides us and challenges us. Thank you for your promises, but we confess it is hard to remain in our limited presence. We need for your encouragement to come. So as you have that bread and that cup in your mind, in your hand, I would invite you to worship, to confess your sin of worry, to think about God's faithfulness in the past, maybe meditate on the moment when you first knew the love of God. Reflect, allow God's faithfulness in the past to stir faith in you for the future. Meditate on the guarantee of God through Christ. So let's stand, let's sing, get those elements, take them back to your seat with you, and we'll receive all together in just a moment.